I think we should get straight to the disclaimer because I have a feeling there will be many views expressed on this episode. Probably the views expressed on Geeks and Beats are those of the participants alone and do not necessarily reflect the views of their employers, in your case, or my clients, in my case. I have clients. <laughs> How classy. I know. Here we go. From the headquarters of Geeks and Beats magazine, simulcast on shortwave radio and Citizens Band 14, this is the world's most popular podcast with Alan Cross and Michael Hainsworth, featuring musical guest Sting. Apple's iRadio service brings the iPhone up to par with Pandora. And I convinced Michael to make the leap into streaming music. How Shazam knows what the hottest song this summer will be, thanks to Big Data. The Honey Boo Boo generation hits YouTube, and and it's really not pretty. No. We'll introduce you to the world's biggest tragically hip fan and tell you what a 50 mission cap really is. And blasting Bieber into space. It's just unfortunate Virgin Galactic doesn't offer one-way tickets. Plus, the sequel to the Monster Mash, the death of a Ramones icon, and why using Alan to settle a bet with my wife is likely to land me sleeping on the couch tonight. Yes, it will. And now, Alan Cross and Michael Hainsworth. We're going to start right at the top with iTunes Radio. Okay, yes, let's go ahead. Um, I followed this, the two-hour keynote or presentation or whatever it was with Moscone Center in in, uh, San Francisco today. Very peppy presentation by the Apple folks. It was actually quite entertaining. It didn't drag at all. That's pretty common for the Apple folks uh, when they have something big to talk about. Yeah, this was a little bit better than most. And and, and I, I wasn't bored. Like, there were some... Some presentations that get bogged down in the minutia, but this was was rather interesting, probably because they had so much stuff that they wanted to get out. And of course, they left the most interesting part to the end, which is iRadio, or I suppose they're technically calling it iTunes Radio. iTunes Radio is Apple streaming music service. They're going to launch it at some point later this year. It's going to work a lot like a lot of the other streaming music services you get curated lists and it learns from your playlists and it learns from your choices and it learns from your preferences and all that sort of stuff. Um, and every time one of these, a song comes up, there's a buy now button right next to it. So 99 cents, twenty nine, whatever it is. That's only smart given that iTunes is the biggest retail in the world. Apple would be dumb not to take advantage of it. But I have a feeling that the reason those buy now buttons are there are to assuage the um, record labels who cut this new deal with Apple. So they want to still be able to sell stuff. So that's why that's there. As I understand it, and and being the business nerd I am, you can see after Tim Cook walked off the stage at the Moscone Center, Apple stock fall and Pandora stock rise. Really? It seems that we weren't impressed with the iTunes radio offering. How much did Pandora go up? It jumped 2.5% by the end of the day. It was underwater for the entire time Apple was talking. I wonder why. I would like to see somebody talk, uh, somebody explain this. I mean, Apple's down 3 bucks, which is less than, what's well, about two-thirds of 1%. The sentiment seems to be that this isn't anything particularly different from what others are offering. But I got to tell you, much like the reason why Microsoft got its pants sewed off over the inclusion of uh, Internet Explorer as the default uh, search engine and the default uh, web browser, Apple has a, a big advantage when you're listening to music. You've got the radio button right there. You don't need to change apps and because you're already tiled into the apple world it knows what you want in the first place well it does and then you can buy right in the ecosystem right there which i thought was a a pretty canny thing 
it's not even really radio, is it? Like, you couldn't tune in your local radio station using this app, could you? This is basically curated playlists. It's curated playlists, and, and your radio station is Apple and iTunes. That's that's really what it is. I, th- you know, having looked at it, I mean, we're only getting a sanitized look at it because of, uh, you know, nobody's got their hands on this yet. I thought it was actually pretty good. Uh, given the fact that Apple has a huge customer base and a giant ecosystem and 500 million credit cards or whatever it is, this could actually be a, you know, a, a pretty good game changer for those within the Apple ecosystem or, at the very least, those who use iTunes. This will work if you're on Windows and you use iTunes because iTunes Radio stretches across iOS and uh, Mac OS – Mavericks or whatever they're calling it, and also uh, iTunes for Windows. So this all ties in together, and that's part of that whole new iOS and and the Macintosh OS X Mavericks, as they're now labeling, because they, they ran out of uh, out of cats. <laughs> it ran out, yeah, I know. So now they're talking about uh, surfing beaches. Yeah, and they made a big joke about uh, Mac OS X Sea Lion yeah. after doing the – and I thought they were serious. I even tweeted about it, and then they go, <laughs> okay, maybe not. I'm like, oh. Hook, line, and sinker. I think one of the things that made this this presentation move along so quickly is that everybody displayed something akin to a sense of humor. <laughs> Nerds have a sense of humor? Doesn't involve Monty Python? This is very much catch-up for Apple. We've got Spotify. We've got Pandora. We've got Rhapsody. We've got Deezer. We've got uh, RDO and Slacker and a bunch of others. So they're just catching up. But I think it's pretty cool the way it has all been folded into the to the ecosystem, like I said. I also want to point out something that was sort of buried towards the end, where they talk about integrating iTunes, or actually iOS software, into automobiles. Ah, yes. Here in my car, I We knew that Apple was working on a Siri button for your car, and now we now know that there's about six different manufacturers who will be working on putting Siri into the steering wheel. Well, there's actually 16 automobile manufacturers, ranging from Kia to Ferrari. Ooh. And yes, they will. The, they're going to be including something in the dashboard that will respond to Siri. But that's not the point. The point is that 95% of vehicles that are made these days are capable of having some kind of iPhone integration. The problem is that all you can get mainly is audio and some basic controls from your phone into your dashboard. Apple began to hire automotive engineers about 18 months or two years ago. And the reason they began hiring these people was because they wanted to take the screen experience of the iPhone and duplicate that screen on your dashboard. So now my dashboard's going to actually have the, the little apps and all the buttons and it'll be touchscreen? Exactly. So if you have, let's say, a navigation app like Waze, or you want somebody to, you want your tweets to come up there, or any of the other apps that you have on your phone, if you want to see them replicated in front of you, so you're not always picking up your phone and looking down at that little screen where you're supposed to be driving. Mm-hmm. This is a big deal. And with 16 manufacturers getting involved in this for the 2014 model year, this is this is huge to uh, traditional broadcasters like radio. The relationship that we have with our smartphones is very, very strong, very, very tight. And the only time that we really sever that relationship to at least a certain degree is when we sit behind the wheel. And if we want any kind of 
you know, uh, contemporary entertainment, and I mean real-time uh, entertainment, we, we have to go to, to the radio, whether that be AM or FM or satellite. Now, if I can get all those cool apps on my phone that give me news and weather and traffic and sports scores and music, some of it randomized, some of it curated just for me, some of it I've already picked, if I don't have to break that relationship with my smartphone when I sit behind the wheel... What does that mean for traditional broadcast? It means that they just migrate to the internet, whether it be a web app or an actual independent iOS app. When I get into the car now, I put the key in the ignition, turn it, and I look at the clock. And the first thing I see is, damn, I missed the traffic report again. doesn't matter. I pull up the 680 News app, I hit the listen button, and I listen to the traffic report that literally just happened moments ago. To be able to not have to fiddle with my iPhone itself and just be able to pull it up on the screen on my dashboard, not only means I'm getting that information right away, but it gives the radio station an opportunity to put enhanced content that I otherwise wouldn't get access to. If I'm listening and I want to know more information about something, they could have an expanded report by a click of the button. My bigger concern, though, is that this is all touchscreen. And touchscreens are great when you can focus on the screen, but when you are driving, the last thing you need to be doing is trying to figure out whether or not your finger hit the button properly or not, which is why we have knobs. Knobs are important. You can you know where the knob is for volume control in your car without having to look at it. If we're putting these flat screens into our dashboards, I now have to be worried about whether or not I hit the right virtual button instead of a physical button. Ah, but you'll have Siri integration so you can just tell the car what you want. Yeah, that's that's limited. That you know, your your apps aren't going to fully take advantage of that. You can't say, Siri, pull up the 680 news app and tell me what the traffic is on the westbound 401 approaching the 400. Not yet. Although if you could do that, yeah, true, not yet. Not yet. I mean, this is this is the, the, the something that I've been preaching about for for a number of years now. This is the tip of of this iceberg that is going to change, revolutionize the way people interact with media behind the wheel. It's not perfect yet. We're still going to have to work out all kinds of design and human interface issues. But it's going to become more and more on demand and less waiting for the traffic and weather together and your sports scores and your news and everything else. Again, it's all about this tight integration with you and your smartphone that you're not going to want to break even though you're driving. So we'll see. We'll just watch. Songs of the summer of 2013 so far. Yeah, this is rather interesting because uh, Shazam, which I think is a fantastic little app. And to this day, maybe it's a generational thing, but when you hear Shazam, do you still think of the superhero? Yeah, I do. Chosen from among all others by the immortal elders Solomon, Hercules, Atlas, Zeus, Achilles, Mercury, Billy Batson and his mentor travel the highways and byways of the land on a never-ending mission to right wrongs, to develop understanding, and to seek justice for all. In time of dire need, young Billy has been granted the power by the immortals to summon awesome forces at the utterance of a single word. I think it's a terrible name, but I think it's, it's, it's pretty cool uh, how it works. If, if you've never used Shazam, it's a free app. There's a premium app for $4.99, but it's a free app that listens to a song and it works both with recorded music and, in some cases, live music. And it somehow compares a waveform, what it's hearing, to something in a library on a server somewhere and tells you what the song is. So what they've done – see, the, the, it, that's a great service to consumers. Mm -hmm. If I hear a song at a bar, I want to know what it is, boom, have it done. 
But where it's interesting is the big data that this is collecting. And what they've learned is that uh, so far, we've uh, seen five key songs that are the most sought after. People sticking the Shazam up against the speaker, wondering what that song is. Number five is uh, Will I Am featuring Miley Cyrus, Fall Down. Number four, Blurred Lines by Robin Thicke. I Love It, Icon of Pop. Number three, Let Her Go by The Passengers. And the number one, Get Lucky by Daft Punk. We're up all night to get lucky. So these tags, these inquiries about, hey, what song is that, indicates, is indicative of, of the interest that people have in these particular songs. And Shazam keeps a chart in each of the countries in which it operates, and Get Lucky from Daft Punk is the most, uh, was the most tagged song on the Shazam charts in 91 different countries. So this is a good predictor of what song is going to be huge this summer. And I, you know, I've been saying, get lucky from Daft Punk. There you go. Shazam said so, so it must be true. Give us a sense, though, behind the scenes within the recording industry. At what point does a song come out? Because I can imagine that much like Hollywood, where they say, we want this to be the big Christmas blockbuster film, we release it November 23rd. Uh, if we want this to be the big summer blockbuster, we release it June 8th. It, it, does the industry on the music side do the same sort of thing where they say, listen, we're going to hold off on releasing your album because we want it to be the big song of the summer? Absolutely. Everything is done quarter by quarter. So does this list even make sense considering there's music that's yet to be released? Well, it does. But at the same time, what this again, it's a predictor of what is going to be popular and going to gain momentum and peak during the summer months. This is just uh, these these remember what Shazam is, is uh, people are are asking, what is this song? I really kind of like it. Can you tell me more? And the wave begins to build in, in May and June. And then by the time we get to mid-July, Everybody is aware of the song. It's a number one hit all over the place, and uh, people will associate the summer with that particular song. Get Lucky is a, a bit of a head fake for Daft Punk, though. If you buy the whole album, it sounds nothing like that track. No, no, it doesn't. It's, uh, in fact, I spent, <laughs> last week I spent $35 buying the double gatefold 180 gram vinyl edition. And uh, it's, which, by the way, it sounds great. They didn't do a lot of compression on this record. It's gr very well produced. And, but you're right. Uh, if, if, you, if you buy that record based on that song, you may be a little surprised. I have yet to see the season finale of Game of Thrones. Do you watch Game of Thrones? I am a huge Game of Thrones watcher. Now, it, the, the last one was this week, and I know the week before there was the big, and I won't give any spoilers, there was a big event that had everybody on the Intertron going, oh my God. It's not a spoiler. George R.R. R. Martin wrote the book a decade ago. Yeah, but nobody read the book other than nerds like you. <laughs> anyway, so if you, okay, it's the, the whole Red Wedding thing, fine. Um, I just, what time is it? Not even an hour ago, finished watching the finale. I won't tell you what happened. <gasps> oh, I won't, dude. I won't tell you. 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 I'm going to finish this. I'm going to. I'm going to get caught up. In the meantime, you found um, a really interesting acapella version of the theme. Yeah. Again, here's a. This is a meme. Uh, people seem to be coming up with different versions of the of the of the theme. And uh, I ran across one where uh, somebody has sampled cats. So the Game of Thrones theme is done with cats meowing. Uh, there's another woman has written lyrics 
to the song to the theme and, and sings it like you don't have enough to do in a day. Yeah, I'm, well, we'll put this in the show notes and you'll be able to see the whole thing. It's uh, there's there's a bunch of guys that do it a cappella, and uh, it's they, it's really really good. And there's 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 a bit of a surprise about a minute into the song that's really kind of funny. <laughs> In the meantime, uh, on alancross.ca, you did something that, quite frankly, I think was really cheap. Oh, was it my link bait? Titled, For the Love of God, Do Not Click on This Story. (laughs) Did you? Of course I clicked on the story. (laughs) Yeah. It's frightening. Is this serious? Yes, it is. Uh, we should explain what it is. So this isn't somebody trying to pull one over on us. This isn't a spoof of something I just haven't seen. No, 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 no. This is uh, part of the Honey Boo Boo generation. Oh. We've got one now, do we? This is uh, this is the real thing. Remember when we were all completely weirded out by Jean Benet Ramsey and and the beauty pageants that that poor kid was put through? Oh yeah. Well, okay, this is the norm now. This is this is what people do with their children, and, and then they ex- no 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 no. The correction: I have a child of a, of this age. This is what some people do. Okay, you don't do it because you're a, you're a good father. Thank you. But this is just like really. Um, I'll put in the show notes, and if you want to click on it. It's up to you. You can't unsee what you see. As of this recording, 3.7 million people have already watched this. And you can buy it on iTunes. I know. So here's the problem. We're worried about the NSA listening in on every one of our conversations. And this is what we're talking about. And this is what we're talking about. Right. <laughs> it's very sad. Do you ever do you ever see a movie called The uh, Idiocracy? Idiocracy was great because the premise behind it was that... Um, Stupid people reproduce more frequently than smart people, and that if you extend that theory on, that the stupid people's children will also have more children, then give it 100 to 500 years, and you've got a nation of idiots. Right, and the biggest, uh, the most popular TV show during the era of idiocracy is called Ow My Balls. And you bring this up, why? i just saying that we're heading towards the idiocracy. All right. Am I wrong? Nah, you're probably right. You wrote uh, this past week on alancross.ca, demystifying the hip's 50 mission cap. Yeah, I can't take credit for this. This is a reader named Stephen who... uh, dug into the whole issue of 50 mission cap and what it meant. Now, it has to do with a particular type of hat Mm -hmm. that was worn during World War II, and basically it meant that the more worked in, the more rough-looking your hat was, the more missions you had flown, and the higher your status. I've I've looked into this as well, and the 50 mission cap was actually given to bomber pilots and, and their crew if they managed to get to the 50th mission mark. Because if you were a bomber pilot, 
surviving 50 missions in and to itself was a pretty big deal. And so this was the military's way of uh, saying thank you more than anything else. Oh, so we haven't solved it yet. No, I'm pretty sure we have because I read it on the Internet. And if it's on the Internet, it must be true. must be true, yes. Now, I, I also uh, – Stephen, Stephen also talked about how the Bill Barilko card mm-hmm. – it was very uncool to have a worked-in 50-mission cap and have a, um, uh, a bill, a brow that was uh, droopy. So what you did was you stuck a piece of cardboard in there, and in Gord Downey's mind, you stuck in a Bill Barilko hockey card uh, to keep your bill up. And you've got one of the two possible actual Bill Barilko cards that could have been used in the actual song. The other one, I think, might be the one that it was because it's a little bit bigger. And as I understand from the 50 mission cap itself, what you want to do is you want to keep that that brow, that front uh, where the actual insignia is highly visible for two reasons. One, it looked better even though you got to smash down the hat on the sides and the back uh, because it just showed what a what a cavalier kind of guy you were. Uh, but two, uh, that cap itself signified so much because it was 50 missions you had risked your life to perform that uh, you actually got away with a lot more than what the standard infantrymen would have gotten away with. Uh, amongst them is you didn't have to wear the uniform all spick and span the way everyone else did. Ah, because you had the 50 mission cap. Exactly. Ah. Now, I was browsing through your website as well and uh, when it related to the Tragically Hip looking into this, and you found a, a guy, a Toronto-based music writer and teacher, who actually has written a book about the Tragically Hip. Actually, he found me. He asked me to write the foreword to this book, and uh, initially I said no because I was way too busy, and then he appealed, uh, well, flattery and, and, and that sort of thing, and that worked. So I wrote the foreword to it, and I thought it was a really cool idea for, for a number of reasons. First of all, We've done a very lousy job of documenting our music history in this, in this country up until recently. We're finally celebrating it. We're writing books about it. We're archiving it. We're talking about it. So that's number one. Number two is that he has gone the self-publishing route, which is something that a lot more people are doing these days because the technology allows for it. My wife has gone through the whole thing, so I, I sympathized with him. Without This whole this idea of not being able to find an agent, this whole idea of not being able to find a publisher, and then just doing it yourself. So I thought we'd get him in here and have him talk about his particular experience. How are you guys doing today? Uh, this is Josh Cloak. Josh uh, is the guy that we're talking about here who has written a book about what it means to be a tragically hip fan in Canada. Is, is, is that a good characterization of, of what your book is about? I think so. I mean, Canada is, is one way to look at it, but I mean, I spent a, a large, you know, a fair amount of time following the hip across Europe as well and uh, learned a lot about them there. I don't think a lot of people feel, you know, there's there's a certain defining quality about Canadian hip fans, but I, I think I've learned otherwise. And, uh, you know, so, so Canadians fine, but, uh, we'll see. What about the idea that, that you actually, because you spent a lot of time following the hip in Europe, what do the Europeans think of the hip? Cause I can imagine they don't even really see them as a Canadian band. They're that big. Well, it's funny, you know, you get, you go to these shows and it is obviously a large contingent of Canadian you know, displaced Canadians there for whatever reason, but Europeans have always been very, um, you know, they enjoy their performance. And um, I think that's something that the hip do very well is they have the ability to just for that hour and a half, two hours, it's all about the show. And, you know, they leave everything they have on the stage. Um, And I think Europeans have always really, or in my experience, they've always really um, appreciated that and flocked to that. And I think that's why the hip are able to 
continue to go there 20, 25 years after they, you know, got started. I think I can testify to that. I've been to shows in the UK and Europe, and the audiences there are much more involved, much more excitable, much more enthusiastic than what we tend to see in, in Canada and certainly uh, in parts of North America as well. Now, I have to ask the question, why would you write this book in the first place? A lot of people just take them for granted. They're the band you hear at barbecues in the summer, you know. They're the band you kind of sing along to late at night when you're half in the bag. But there's a story here. Everybody has a different story of how and why they had to get to the show. And I was just hoping that in sharing my story or stories um other hip fans would would be able to kind of remember that because this is a band that has done a lot and uh you know for whatever reason some got sometimes gets kind of you know thrown under the rug and they again they just get taken for granted so i just wanted to to share that have you met gordon downey any of the other guys um the first time i met gord was in 2004 i broke up with a girlfriend and you know, whether or not it was intended, she ended up getting backstage passes to the, their Canada Day show and um, kind of held them over my head a few weeks after we broke up. And I uh, had to beg and crawl to to go backstage with her and um, had a chance to meet Gordon. It was a pretty, um, you know, life altering moment and uh, introduced myself and he uh, he forgot my name. <laughs> Okay. You know, that's what you do. You wait out behind the, the venue after the show because you want to let them know that the connection you have with the music is personal. And uh, I think that's a big reason why they've, they've continued to, to make records is because they know they've formed these connections with fans that don't just end when the song stops on the radio. So you, uh, you wrote the book, you began to shop it around various publishers, and nobody bit. People might be waiting for them to finish because then they think, well, then it's time for the career retrospective. Without getting too carried away, I thought Arts and Crafts, these guys started up very small. They put out one record. Um, it was a fantastic record. And no way am I comparing Escape is at Hand to You Forgotten People. But I thought if you can start small and you can dream big, then, uh, you know, hopefully good things can happen. You have to start somewhere. I mean, I did the same thing in 1995. And nobody writes books because they think they're going to make any money. People write books because they have to. And uh, I guess this is one of the things that uh, that you felt you have to do. What do you say we give away a copy or three? Yeah, that sounds great. Three, five. Let's make it three. First three people to call in at uh, 323-319-NERD. 323-319-NERD wins themselves a copy. The book is called Escape is at Hand. Joshua Cloak, it's uh, available when and where? We've got our launch on June 24th at Supermarket in uh, Kensington Market in Toronto. We've got the uh, incredibly talented Jennifer Castle playing. Uh, it'll be available a few days beforehand online. Uh, there's a few shops in Toronto, most notably She Said Boom and Soundscapes that are going to stock it. But uh, it'll be available from the website. It'll be available at the launch uh, and all your standard online retailers as well. We'll make sure we put it in the show notes. Joshua, good to have you with us. Thanks a lot, guys. Really appreciate it. London, Bangkok, New York, Cincinnati. From the worldwide headquarters of Geeks and Beats magazine, this is a GNB News Update. We have a new producer, a co-producer on the show. This is what you get for donating $25 to the cause. You get the satisfaction of knowing that you made this program possible, at least in small, some small part. Because we do have, uh, you know, hard costs that go along with with making this thing. So 
uh, we appreciate it. You're going to have to mention the guy's name because, frankly, no one's going to be donating the show to hear me say their name on the show. It's all about you. Oh, right. Okay. Uh, Shane Hamill. Just discovered the show and love it. I live in the small town of Millet, Alberta and work in Edmonton. One commute every week is dedicated to the podcast. That's nice. I've been a fan of Alan's work for a long time. Oh, thank you. And enjoy the two of you together. I've really enjoyed my work as co-producer. <laughs> Truly fulfilling. Well, thank you, Shane Hamill. And if you would like to be a co-producer, it costs merely $25. And we will give you the shout out that you want Simply if you, you know, give us your money. And if you want to give us even more money, which actually is less money to us, more money to Cafe Press, is you could buy our craptastic swag, get yourself a mug or a travel mug, as last week you were coveting the fact that I got one for my wife, and she brought it in, showed it to your wife, and your wife asked, how come you don't have one? So did you get off your butt and get yourself a new mug from the swag store? I forgot. You forgot. I'll, I'll do it when I'm done here. Geeks and Beats update. Uh, Justin Bieber to fulfill your dreams by firing himself into space. Yes, he is. Justin Bieber wants to go into space, and I hope he stays there. Anyway, he's, uh, there, did you hear the story today? He wanted to do a shoot. A, he's going to be a space tourist, but now he wants to shoot a video up there. Right. Um, and my, my favorite response to that from the internet was, ground control to major tool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, he's had a bad year, and it just... Keeps getting worse. Why are, getting, he lost his monkey, by the way. Remember, there was the yes. big thing about him and his monkey being taken away from him in Germany. He's given up on getting the monkey back. Yep. Well, that's uh, the kind of guy he is. Poor little defenseless thing who was taken away from his mother, like about 12 weeks or something, instead of uh, like the six months or eight months it was supposed to be. Ah, just oh, really? sad. Yes. He's not the only one, though, who's going to find himself on a flight on Virgin Galactic. Uh, it only costs a quarter of a million dollars to, as a deposit for a seat on a future flight. You've got uh, Brad Pitt, Angelina Jolie. Kind of funny if one and not the other one. Leonardo DiCaprio, Tom Hanks. He's also booked uh, for a safe travel on a uh, Branson-based flight. You know, a quarter of a million dollars when you think about it. I mean, I don't have that kind Keep in mind that's a deposit. That's not necessarily the final tally. Oh, I, did, I thought it was. I thought that was the price of a ticket. No, oh. no, we don't know what the price of a ticket is. All we know is what the price of a space in line is. Right. I know that Moby was going to be. Uh, he put up a quarter million dollars to be part of that line, mm -hmm. but uh, he later withdrew his name. Now, if you're going to make a music video in space, that's one thing. But, you know, we actually had Chris Hadfield, Commander Chris Hadfield uh, of the Canadian Space Agency, make a music video in space. And he actually did sing it. He didn't just lip sync the whole thing. Yeah, he did a good job. Uh, you know, was a Canadian, which is a, a good thing. You know, maybe that's where we lead the world in space-born videos. He uh, has retired from the Canadian Space Agency now. We have been added to a list of media organizations to interview him. And when they get down the list, most likely to the bottom, they will find us. We will talk to him. That's good. That, that would be very good. Um, I know Ed Robertson. Maybe I should talk to Ed. Maybe Ed can make, uh, make something happen for us. That's not a bad idea. Yeah, because they did the, uh, the Music Monday thing with him. Ask Alan anything. Ask Alan anything. Call area code 323-319-NERD now or visit geeksandbeats.com. You could even win some craptastic swag. We don't have anything to ask you this week. Oh, okay. Um, but my wife and I had a question that we tweeted you and you snubbed us, didn't even respond to our question. Wait, don't tweet me anything. I've got 35,000 followers. I can't, f I don't answer all the tweets. Do you not? No, I can't. You've got other things to do. So here, here, here's the question. 
debate this for us because we were talking about um, buying albums on iTunes now. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was my assertion that even though um, you might buy one or two tracks, I went out and I bought the entire Wang Chung album that you had mentioned on your website had actually come out last year. Yes, in September. So, yes. Sidebar, it's just terrible. Is it? There is only one track on it, which was any good, which was the one that you had um, put in as a YouTube video, which was Stargazing, yeah. which was very not Wang Chung. Now I spend all my time up on the hill. They also have a uh, edit of their big famous song, Dance Hall Days. Mm. But it, other than that, it is 80s style dreck. So, but I, I, I paid the whole 10 bucks for the entire album, even though I was only interested in one or two tracks. My wife asked me why, and I said, well, you know what? These guys have given me enough love over the course of, of the last 20 years or so that I figured, what's 10 bucks? Uh, but it was also my assertion that even though we're in the age of digital downloads, an, an artist will still organize the tracks in such a fashion that they want you to listen from beginning to end. Now, is that true or is that false? No, that's true. It's called sequencing, and they spend an awful lot of time and effort and blood, sweat, and tears trying to figure out in which order songs should go on an album, where to put the single, where to put the ballad, where to put the in the middle of the album pick-me-up kind of thing. So, no, it's 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 very, you know, the, the people still think that way. They still think in terms of, of sequencing songs in an album. The best track on that entire album was the very last one. What does that tell you? Well, it tells me that you had a lot of patience to get through a lot of music to get to that last one. Now, see, this is why you need a streaming music service. I have a difficult enough time listening to the music I do like, let alone the stuff I don't. You could have, for 10 bucks a month or 5 bucks a month in some cases, just sampled it, realized that it was mostly crap, and then just spent $1.29 on the single. All right, I'm hooked. That's what streaming music services are for. All right. Can I just mention Arturo Vega? Sure, whether or not it makes it into the show is a whole different matter. Okay, Arturo Vega <laughs> was the uh, the art director for the Ramones. He was the guy that came up with the famous Ramones logo, their coat of arms. Uh, he died this past weekend at the age of 65. Uh, think about how many Ramones logos you've seen on T-shirts over the years and understand that because of Arturo, the Ramones lasted much longer than they would have otherwise because they made all their money on T-shirts. Thank you for ending the show on that uplifting note. You're welcome. Catch all new episodes of Geeks and Beats Wednesdays on iTunes. And watch for Geeks and Beats magazine on a newsstand near you. To be part of next week's show, call area code 323-319-NERD. Follow the stories on Twitter or Facebook. And get your dose of Geeks and Beats anytime at geeksandbeats.com. The Geeks and Beats podcast would like to thank the National Science Foundation.